Mother Jones was known for her speaking ability. She worked quick and went from group to group, making her voice heard and getting more and more people on her side with her choice of words, venues, and passion. During this time, people worked 12 to 14 hour days, six days a week. Children worked for less than a dollar a week. Women worked for $4 a week. Men worked for $1 to $2 a day. They worked with dangerous mach machinery, without ventilation, and little to no safety equipment. Now, an interview with Mother Jones herself. What was your life like before you started advocating for people's rights? I was born in Ireland around 1830 and raised in Canada. I was a teacher in Michigan. I met and married George Jones, who was active in the Iron Molders Union, and began to learn about income disparity. We had four children. George and all four children died in the 1867 Memphis yellow fever epidemic. The epidemic flew through the lower class. The wealthy fled to their country homes away from the disease. Then I moved to Chicago where I became a dressmaker. I lost my home, shop, and belongings in the great Chicago fire. All that I had left was the clothes I was wearing, no money and no food. After all that loss, what got you to become active in the labor issues? After I moved to Chicago, I got a job as a dressmaker for a very wealthy family. As I was sitting in front of the picture window in a nice warm room making ball gowns of silk and satin, I saw families with children walking through the snow, shivering, wearing nothing but thin cotton clothing. I knew how hard these people worked and in what conditions. My employers seemed to turn their heads at this awful sight or were completely unaware of what was happening. I thought, these mansions were built on the broken bones, quivering hearts, and drooping heads of little children. Children are being sacrificed at the altar of profit. So I took it upon myself to do something about it. I had to fight this injustice. A gradually growing interest in labor issues and in radical politics led me to become active by my late 50s as Mother Jones. I focused my work around children and adults working for long hours in dangerous conditions for paltry wages. The average age was about 11 or 12 years old, but children as young as three and four helped without pay. What type of union issues did you involve yourself in when it came to the miners? I worked with the United Mine Workers and tried my hardest to convince miners of all ages to join the union. We would meet together, usually at night, away from the mines. Miners were fearful to join the union. At that time, out of 23,000 miners, only 206 were part of the union. I knew it would be a better life for them if they were part of an organization. I hear that the boys were brought into the world by the company doctor. They attended the company's schools for only a few years. They lived in company shacks, ate overpriced food from the company store, and spent their life working in this dangerous job. Were there any other hardships that these coal miners had to endure that I'm forgetting? And what ended up happening because of these terrible conditions? Did they fight for justice? How did you play a part in this? Well, you need to remember that they were cheated on their wages, paid in company scrip instead of money, and charged high rent for what I would call a kennel. They were charged for schools, doctors, burial, and what were called protection, but I would call mining company thugs. They went out to fight to correct these conditions. They went about this by striking in Cripple Creek, which happened in 1903. The strikers lived outside in tents when it was below zero. Since the mining companies owned their housing, they were kicked out. Later, during the strike, they got 60 cents a week strike benefit. The governor at that time was sympathetic to the mine owners and prohibited shopkeepers from selling to them. When the miners opened a store, it was burned down by the militia. 
the miners didn't give up. The Paint Creek Coal Company persecuted the miners. When these miners went on strike, the Paint Creek Company recruited scabs from the city, locked them in boxcars, and delivered them to the mine. At this point, the miners sent a declaration of war to the governor. The night before I returned there from Washington, where I was speaking, the miners were victims of a massacre. An armored train equipped with Gatling guns drove through the Holly Grove tent colony in the middle of the night and opened fire on the miners. Those who weren't killed escaped into the freezing woods in the middle of nowhere. No one was ever arrested. However, 50 people were arrested when a mine guard was killed three days later. The West Virginia senator said it was peaceful until I showed up and I was arrested. I was 84. Later on, the nearby Ludlow tent city was set afire, killing the majority of children and adults. This had to be written about in the media. Yes, I guess little children being roasted alive makes a front page story, and dying by exposure and starvation does not. Throughout your life, you have been dedicated to making children's lives better. Looking back, I see that you were quite a big advocate for mill children, among other children. What kinds of things did this passion bring you to? I love children. At the turn of the century, two million children under the age of 16 worked in mills, factories, and mines. Images of the child workers I had seen stayed with me. The torn, bleeding fingers of the breaker boys, the mill children living on coffee and stale bread. These were just some of the awful pictures in my mind. It was terrible, and I thought I should do my part to help them. So in June of 1903, I went up to Pennsylvania, which at the time was the heart of the vast textile industry. About 100,000 workers from 600 different mills were on strike there. The strikers wanted their work week cut from 60 to 55 hours, even if it meant sacrificing a portion of their salary. About a sixth of the strikers were children under 16. As I recall, about 80,000 children were working in this textile industry nationwide. From pictures we see today, children must have been nothing but skin and bones. Once I saw a picture of a child who looked like they had lost his his fingers and hands and other body parts due to dangerous conditions in these factories and mills. Is this an accurate picture of what that portrayed at that time? Yes, that would be an accurate description of what I saw. Some children looked like their chests were hollow and from working hunched over their shoulders were rounded. Pennsylvania did have labor laws regarding how old a child must be to work, which was that all children must be over the age of 13 but parents often bent the rules to get their children to earn money for the family. The factory owners didn't do anything about this because child labor was cheap, easy to control, and they would have lost too many workers. I hear you try to show some light on the issue by seeking out some different publications and other media to do stories on these children, but they declined. How frustrating that would have been. I would imagine that the only reason for the rejection would be that the mill owners own stock in the publication. Is this true? Yes, it is very true. I went to the publications to speak with them about doing stories on these child workers. They did turn me down. I went right back at them and told them, I have stock in these children and I'll arrange publicity. So that's exactly what I did. A number of mill children and I marched from Philadelphia's Independence Square to the courthouse lawn. At that time, I grabbed onto one of my little guys and raised his arm so the crowd could see the mutilation done to his hand from the mills. I picked up another one of the children to show how there was almost nothing left of this child. I even got a job in the mill to see for certain how these children were being treated. I was turned away at first because I didn't have children to work for them. I bent the truth and said that I did, that I had six kids that would come at a later date. 
After I was hired, they showed me a rental house that was practically snowing inside with huge gaping holes and no floor. When the children failed to appear, I was fired. The point was to teach the public that the conditions were inhumane and these children deserved an education in healthy living conditions. After this demonstration, I made up my goal for these children's voices to be heard by the President of the United States, so I decided to arrange a march. Oh, the march. How could I forget? What a huge feat for not just you, but all the children that went with you. If I'm not mistaken, there were nearly 300 men, women, and children embarking on that long march from Philadelphia to Sagamore Hill on July 7th, 1903. How many miles was that march? And what was the final outcome? Did the president listen to what you had to say? The march was approximately 125 miles. The children were weak and sick, and many of them had to turn back before we got to our final destination. Partway there, I found out the Secret Service was following us. We showed up in New York, and we were not allowed in because we didn't have a permit. We ended up pushing through and made it to the president's country estate on Sagamore Hill. I wanted to speak with the president, with President Roosevelt, about the injustice of what was happening to these children, but he would have nothing to do with me. I attempted a second time, and he refused to see me. From that moment on, I did all I could to help these children by being their biggest advocate. Thank you so much for joining us, Mother Jones. Any last words? Yes. The employment of children is doing more to fill prisons, insane asylums, almshouses, reformatory slums, and gin shops than all the efforts reformers are doing to improve society. Thank you so much. To end our show, here are some quotes from our guest. If they want to hang me, let them. And on the scaffold, I will shout freedom for the working class. The militant, not the meek, shall inherit the earth. I'm not a humanitarian. I'm a hellraiser. The world today's in mourning for the death of Mother Jones. Gloom and sorrow hovers around the miner's home. This grand old champion of labor was known in every land. She fought for right and justice. She took an noble stand for the hills and through the valleys. In every mining town, Mother Jones was ready to help them. She never turned them down On front with the striking miners She always could be found And received a hearty welcome In every mining town Of every danger She hated that which was wrong She never gave up fighting A 
until her breath was gone. This noble leader of labor has gone to a better land, while the hard-working miners they miss a guiding hand. May the miners all work together. To carry out her plan.